we turn for our reading from God's Word to the Gospel according to Luke. Luke chapter 1, we're reading from the first verse. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who, from the first, were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well on in years. Once when Zechariah's division was in duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. When the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well on in years. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah, wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. For the congregation, it must have been a very uncomfortable wait the time of the evening sacrifice, the priest gone into the holy place to offer incense according to the 
requirements of the law had gone into the altar of incense in the holy place in front of the most holy place where even the the priest wouldn't dare go in. And that should have taken a fairly short time, a matter of a, a few minutes, and he should have reappeared, but he didn't. Instead, the people were left wondering, as we have it in verse 21 of Luke 1, why he stayed so long in the temple. Had he taken sick? Should somebody go and find out what was wrong with Zechariah? Why did he not come back? And when he did finally come back, verse 22, he could not speak to them. He wasn't able to speak. He lost the ability to communicate. Something very significant had taken place while he was in the holy place to offer incense. They realized, we are told, he had seen a vision. A rare event, even in biblical times. We perhaps sometimes think of Visions here, there, and everywhere, and angels appearing and disappearing, but they weren't. Visions were rare. And so something major had happened in the holy place at that point. So now we're getting into the, uh, the, the gospel record proper, uh, and we're looking today at chapter 1, verses 5 to 25. The day is dawning. The day is dawning. And several things we see in this record of what initially for the worshippers was probably becoming quite embarrassing until Zechariah finally came from behind the curtain into the holy place. And the first thing we see, and this stands out surely, is the vision granted. The vision granted. Now, since the close of our Old Testament, there had been a time of silence. There had been no revelations from God since his word had come to Malachi. Malachi, we have it as the last book in our Bible, in the Hebrew Bible at Second Chronicles is the last book, but in chronological terms, Malachi was the end, middle of the 5th century BC. And for four and a half centuries, there has been no revelation from God, not a word, silence, no light of revelation during all that time. People wait for the Messiah, wait for the fulfillment of the prophetic promises. God has said absolutely nothing. And now the Lord is beginning to move to fulfill those ancient promises of salvation through the Messiah. That is how significant this moment is. 450 years of silence. We might think in our own historical terms, you're in the Tudor era when God last said anything. And now after all that silence, God speaks and God is moving. First gospel promise you know is in the Garden of Eden. 
Genesis 3.15, the promise of the seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent, the promise of Messiah, Jesus. Millennia before. And now God is beginning to move to fulfill that promise. Isn't it abundantly clear? God is in no hurry. He promises a Savior in the Garden of Eden. And now thousands of years later, in the temple here at Jerusalem, he begins the final fulfillment of that promise. But something has to happen before Messiah comes. It's spelled out, for example, in Isaiah 40 and verse 3, a voice of one crying, In the desert prepare the way of the Lord. Prophecy that there will be a forerunner before the Messiah is revealed. A forerunner who will prepare for the coming of the light. And now the fulfillment has arrived. Isaiah 40 verse 3 will soon be fulfilled. And so the narrative focuses on an individual, a priest named Zechariah. We meet him as he's going to burn incense. You might just assume he probably did that every evening. But he didn't. In actual fact, for Zechariah, this is probably the only time in his entire career that he will go in and offer incense. The priest was chosen by lot. There were 12 divisions of the priests, did a month each. So he'd only be on for a month a year. And during that month, the priest to offer incense would be chosen by lot. It would be very unusual ever to do that a second time. This is a once in a lifetime moment for Zechariah as he goes in there with the incense to offer it to God. Incense that symbolized, of course, prayer. The sweet aroma rising to God was symbolic of prayer going up to God. And he's a godly man himself, like his wife. We're told, upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. Here's a man prepared by the Lord for a tremendous privilege and responsibility. As always, God has his man ready. There's one sorrow, of course, in his family life. They had no children, verse 7. Particularly hard in that culture. Particularly hard for Elizabeth. And human hope is gone. They're well on in years. And yet, as verse 13 indicates, still a matter of prayer. And there are similarities quite strong between Zechariah and Elizabeth and Abraham and Sarah back in the book of Genesis. The, the, The one account echoes the other in significant ways. So human hope has gone and yet he's still praying. He is a godly man. And he's granted a rare vision. An angel of the Lord appears, Gabriel. Great news of what the Lord uh, is starting to do. 
Gabriel appears to him, brings a message. The first words, and it's interesting how often in Scripture the first words that an angel speaks when he appears to somebody is, don't be afraid. Because the angel is bringing good news, not something to be afraid of. A vision granted. And this already a once in a lifetime experience for Zechariah. It's even more once in a lifetime a vision. And there have been visions for four and a half centuries. And he receives it. It is for him an overwhelming experience. The vision granted. What then is the message? What is God doing? Well, secondly, we think of the provision made. The provision made. What is impossible for man is easy for the Lord. Often the Bible reminds us of that. What is impossible for man is easy for the Lord. Verse 13, your wife will bear you a son. And isn't it very reminiscent of Abraham and Sarah back in Genesis 21? Here is the good news. The power and the grace of God are going to be revealed in the birth of a son. And not just any son. He will be unique. And we're told a number of very significant things about this son that God is going to give to Zechariah and Elizabeth. First thing you see is his commitment. His commitment. Gabriel says he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Verse 15. He'd be a man, in other words, devoted to the Lord and devoted to his calling in the Lord's service. And that is real greatness. Real greatness is not being a political leader or an internet influencer or whatever else. Real greatness is being devoted to the Lord and to whatever the Lord calls you to do. That's greatness. Even if the world doesn't know you exist and he will be truly great. And a visible token of John's commitment, he is never to take wine or other fermented drink. Now, it wasn't in any way uh, banned for the Israelites, for God's people. But there were those, the Bible calls them Nazarites. Now, not Nazarites, because that's somebody from Nazareth. But Nazarites. Those were people who would take a vow often for a limited period of time, for weeks or months, and a vow that, among other things, included abstinence from all forms of alcohol. Also involved uh, not touching a dead body, for instance. But this is, the, this is the crucial element as far as John is concerned. If you want to read more about Nazarites, turn to Numbers chapter 6. But for John, this is not going to be a temporary vow. This is his life. This will characterize him all through his ministry. He's a lifelong Nazarite. Samson was. Samuel was as well in the Old Testament. 
but it's a visible token of his commitment to the Lord. Why will he abstain from alcohol? It'll not be for health reasons. It will be a sign that he has a higher commitment to God. And so for John, a lifelong Nazarite, his focus will be totally on the Lord and nothing is to distract him from this mission. It is so important. He must give everything to it and give himself entirely to it, his commitment. It's the first thing that's evident about John as we think of the provision made. His commitment, secondly, his empowering. And that's vital for the job that John is going to have to do. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb, verse 15. Uh, NIV puts it, uh, he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. But it's before birth. We'll see this God willing next week. Uh, John was filled with the Spirit before he was born. Before he ever saw the light of day, the Holy Spirit was working in John. And the Holy Spirit who will fill him. It's by the Lord's enabling that this son will be able to fulfill his ministry, not in his own strength, but in the strength of the Holy Spirit. And so verse 17, Gabriel uh, says to uh, Zechariah, he'll go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. Now, why should Gabriel mention that, the spirit and power of Elijah? Now, we know, of course, Elijah was a powerful prophet. Uh, He was an unusual figure. He did a great work. But why does Gabriel mention that particularly to Zechariah? Well, he does it because Zechariah knew his Bible. And to a priest like Zechariah, those words about the spirit and power of Elijah would immediately be recognized. Zechariah wasn't scratching his head wondering, where does that come from? I've read that before somewhere, the way we do. He would know exactly where that comes from. He would know it's in Malachi 4. He would know it's at the very end of his Bible, the final chapter, almost the final verse. Malachi 4, 5, see, it's God speaking. I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. And Zechariah would know at once what Gabriel meant. He would know that this son was going to fulfill Malachi 4 and verse 5. The time has come. 450 years after Malachi wrote those words, under the inspiration of the Spirit, now they'll be fulfilled by a son who'll be filled by that same Holy Spirit. And it'll be God's work. And all the glory will belong to God. His commitment, his empowering, his task. What is this son going to do. And it's set out in verses 16 and 17. Gabriel spells it out very clearly for Zechariah. 
And it's the language of Malachi 4. You read on the very last verse of the Hebrew Old Testament, at least as we have them in order. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. And Zechariah knows God is fulfilling his promise after all these years, and it's in my son, born in my old age, that God will fulfill the word of the prophet. He will be the agent of a great spiritual turning in Israel. Many of the people of Israel, we're told, verse 60, will he bring back to the Lord. There will be a reviving under John's ministry. And the goal of what John is going to do is vital. And what is the goal? It's not to start a church of John the Baptist. It's not to gather a following for himself. Far from it. It is, verse 17, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. He is the forerunner foreseen in Isaiah 40. The voice crying, prepare a way in the desert. For whom was the way to be prepared? It was for the Lord. And that is what John is going to do. He's going to prepare Israel for the coming of the Messiah. Prepare them. It was a word that would be used for fitting out a boat or for equipping an army. They'll be ready for the Messiah to come. John will prepare the way. What a privilege. What a privilege for Zechariah to be the father of the forerunner expected since the days of Isaiah and Malachi and so forth. The day of salvation is dawning. The light is about to break into the world after those centuries of silence and darkness. A task of tremendous privilege and tremendous responsibility. The provision made, his commitment, his empowering, his task. The vision granted, the provision made. Thirdly, the rebuke administered. The rebuke administered. It's too much for Zechariah. He can't cope. He can't take it in. You can imagine already he was an emotional high going in once in his life to offer incense and suddenly the, the angel Gabriel is announcing He'll have a son, and the son will fulfill Old Testament prophecy and prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. And Zechariah is overwhelmed. Now he's been praying for a son. That's evident in the record. Verse 13, your prayer has been heard. And our first thought might be, while he's been praying, why doesn't he believe when he gets the answer? And then stop and think, how many things do we pray for? And when God gives the answer, we can't accept it. We don't accept it. Think 
in the New Testament. Acts 12, you remember the church was praying for Peter's release from prison. Praying that God would set him free, and God did. And Peter was knocking the door. And when Rhoda the servant comes back and tells the praying church, your prayer's been answered, Peter's out there. In our terms, feel your head, woman. God answered. They couldn't believe it. God has answered Zechariah's prayer for his son, and he can't believe it. He can't take it in. Of course, Zechariah knows that a miracle will be needed for his prayer to be answered. But he said he knew, he knew his Bible. He knew Genesis 21. He knew how God could give a son to Abraham when he was 100 years old. But it's one thing to, to know those truths in your head. It's another thing to translate them into your actual living. And Zechariah just can't do it. He can't bring himself to believe that this could really happen, that God could do that. And how often do we pray for things that in our heart of hearts, if we're honest, we don't really think could happen. Maybe more often than we would be willing to admit. And so with Zechariah, and he stammers out a question, how can I be sure of this? In ways, of course, you could sympathize with that. You might, in that position, have asked the same question. How can I be sure of this? It seems maybe Zechariah's looking for a sign or something like that. Then we think there's an angel in front of him. What more sign could God give him than that? What more sign or proof could he get than Gabriel in front of him talking to him? And it is an expression of a lack of faith. Now, he's a believing, godly man, but at this point, his faith doesn't stand the test. And the Lord's response through Gabriel is a powerful rebuke. Set out in verse 20. Now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words. Remember, a priest is to teach the people, but he's not even going to be allowed to speak to them. He had responsibility as a priest to pronounce God's blessing on God's people. He'd not be able to do that. In so many ways, it was a severe restriction. He'd not be able to function adequately as a priest until the word is fulfilled. And then the burden will be lifted from him. You did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. There is no possibility that God's promise will fail. Zechariah will have to wait in silence about the whole process of John's development and then his birth. And the speech will be restored. And he'll be able to praise God for what 
the Lord has done for him. But it is a rebuke. His faith didn't stand the test at that moment. And so God takes the gift of speech from him. The rebuke administered. One thing finally at the end of our passage we need to note. And that's the faith expressed. The faith expressed. There's a contrast at this point between Zechariah's failure and the faith of Elizabeth, his wife. Now, of course, we can say, yes, she had the physical evidence in her own body that Gabriel's word was being fulfilled. You say she was at an advantage over Zechariah from that point of view. She couldn't argue with what was happening to her. But how she describes it is a a statement of heartfelt faith in the Lord. We mustn't miss that. And willing acceptance of his purpose for her. She's very like her relative Mary later in the chapter. We'll go on to think about her next week. For Elizabeth, verse 25, the Lord has done this for me. She sees his hand in the miraculous giving of a son. She'd longed along with Zechariah. She had prayed as Zechariah had prayed. The Lord has done this. Has done. It's a perfect tense in the original. It's always perfect in Greek. It's the abiding significance of what has happened. In other words, God is fulfilling a promise This is fixed. This is sure. This is unchangeable. The Lord has done this. It is his work. What a privilege to be part of the fulfillment of such a promise. The forerunner of the Messiah will be born from her body. He has shown his favor, she says. Literally, he has looked Upon me. A token of God's grace. She wasn't forgotten. In the world's eyes, she was insignificant in some respects in her community, perhaps despised. But the Lord has looked upon her. He's looked on her with favor. It's God's grace that has done this and reversed the world's estimate of her. How different the community will be as the birth of John approaches and finally he's born. That'll change their minds. The Lord has done this. He has shown favor. He has shown grace. A God who works out his eternal purpose. The birth of a son that had been prophesied Seven, eight hundred years before in Isaiah, it's going to happen. It had been prophesied in Malachi 450 years earlier, it's going to happen. The forerunner of the Messiah who'd been promised in the Garden of Eden thousands of years before, it's going to happen. Sovereign God who keeps his word in every 
detail. The birth of a son, and surely she knows, Zechariah knows, verse 14 will be fulfilled. He will be a joy and a delight to you. Of course, he will. But even more important than the joy and the delight his parents will have, he will do a great work for the glory of God. God that we can trust implicitly. A God who promises and fulfills. And a God who is about to give the Savior that we need and that every man and woman needs. And at the moment he decreed in eternity, it will come to pass. And all the glory is his.